The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning. If you are new, uh, my name is Kylam. Uh, I get the great joy of uh, being the lead pastor here at LCC. Uh, we just read through a passage uh, in Ephesians 6. We're going through, it's, it's kind of a topical series, but we just are kind of grounded in this particular passage about the armour of God. And so... Uh, just as a way of just sort of bringing us up to speed, essentially, uh, Paul has written this letter to this church at, at Ephesus, and he's telling them all the blessings and all the good things that they have uh, as Christians. Um, and then he kind of goes into like from chapter 3, 4, 5, leading into 6, kind of some of the, the implications of this affects your work life, this can affect your relationships, this affects uh, how you do all sorts of things in your life. And then at the end of the book, he wants to just remind them, but don't forget that you're in a spiritual battle. That with all of those blessings, with all of the things that come with being a Christian, and there are so many, the Christian life is the greatest life you can ever live, um, it, there's also a battle. And so we said from the beginning that we must remember that Christianity, it comes without earning. We don't do anything in order to get and earn God's love. God just loves us. Because He is just that good. We don't do anything to earn His forgiveness. He freely gives it to us. However, whilst the Christian life does not come with earning, it does mean we need effort to enjoy the benefits, to enjoy what it means to walk as one who has experienced the forgiveness of God. will take effort. Because the enemy wants to come against you and make you believe lies that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't want to forgive you, that God doesn't want to help you, that God's not in your corner. And so throughout this particular passage, Paul then kind of goes on explaining some of these armors, these pieces of armor. And so today we are focusing on verse 16, and I'll just read it again. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So that's going to be our focus today, with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So what I want to do is I actually want to go through it in reverse order. So I want to look at the evil one and the flaming darts. Then I want to look at the shield of faith and what that is. And then I want to finish with different types of circumstances and all circumstances. So are you with me? All the mums said... Awesome. There we go. As long as I've got the mums on board today, it's a win. That's kind of the goal, right? <laughs> okay, so the, the thing it says here that stands out is that there is this evil one who has these flaming darts. So we, we looked at in week one that there is these two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. There is superstition, which overemphasizes everything of the devil. Everything's the devil. The reason that I'm this is because of the devil. The reason I'm feeling this is because of the devil. And there's this superstition. It's an overemphasis. But there is also substition, which is an underemphasis. That is that we just don't think about the devil. It's, it's all done. It's all good. And so what uh, the Bible says is, no, there is an evil one. And he does not like you and me. And his goal is to separate everyone from experiencing walking with God. That's what he wants to do. So if you are in the room and you're not a Christian, the devil, Satan, the evil one, doesn't want you to believe that God is real and that he is good and that he actually sent a son to die on a cross for your sins so that you could be brought back into a right, right relationship with God. He doesn't want you to believe in that. And many of us in the room who are now Christians can look back and we can actually see 
wow, the enemy was doing things in my life to prevent me from coming into a faith-filled relationship with God. And Christian, the enemy doesn't want you to enjoy your relationship with God. The enemy wants to cause you to doubt the goodness of God. And so the evil one, this is speaking of Satan, is this liar, this deceiver, this tempter, this accuser, the opposer. But here's the thing about Satan. Whilst the Bible wants to say Satan is real and Satan has power, the Bible also wants us to know that Satan is predictable. And this is helpful. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So Satan is not like God. Unlike God, Satan is limited in his presence. Theologians will tell you that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Satan is not because he isn't God. Satan is still a created being. So he cannot be everywhere at all times. He is also unlike God in the fact that his knowledge is limited. He doesn't know all things. He can't read your mind. How many people here, when you pray, you pray in your mind? Great. That's not a bad thing because God can actually read your mind. But Satan can't do that. He can put thoughts in your mind, but he can't read your mind. And unlike God, he is limited in power. He cannot do all things. Has anyone here ever gone through an unexpected spider web? And you kind of have these, and you freak out, and then your kids mock you, and your wife mocks you. Anything, anything with like multiple legs more than like, is like, it's a freak out for me, and my wife just laughs and pays me out. If you're a Christian, that unexpected walking to a spider web should not be how we respond to the enemy's attacks. Because they are not unexpected. We are not unaware that they are there and present and coming for us. We know that he wants to lie. We know he wants to tempt. We know that he wants to come at us in certain ways. I love this about the Bible. The Bible is very honest. But it is filling us with hope and it's telling us truths that are important for us who are Christians. And so it says that this evil one has these flaming darts. Now, if you know anything about ancient warfare... The darts are this picture of like the spear or the arrow that was developed over time so that uh, they could basically fight at a great distance and so they could shoot arrows that pull back and then over time that turned into them actually being dipped in oil and set alight so they would then from a far distance just shoot these flaming arrows, these flaming darts, these flaming spears. And so... This picture here is Satan is shooting things at you from a distance. He's whispering something just quietly in the back of your mind, just from a distance. And it's just this little, it's going to drop that in there and just leave that for a while. So what are these flaming darts? Well, I'll give you six things real quickly that I think Satan and the Bible would say Satan is throwing our way. One is difficulty. The enemy loves to provide difficulty, wants to make your life hard. Now, as we said from the beginning, when the enemy comes and causes problems in your life and troubles in your life, he's not just wanting to come and bring problems and troubles. The goal is to bring problems and troubles, which would then lead you to believe certain lies. 
So that in your struggle, in your trial, you would then believe God doesn't love me. Or God is not with me. And I've spoken a little bit about my story and my journey of dealing with severe anxiety. And there were times when I was going through a really, really tough time at home where I started to doubt that God loved me. I could preach that God loved you, but when it was my turn to experience difficulty and suffering, then for the first time, I started to doubt the Father's love. Hands up. Just be good for every single male that's married, just giving you the quick little, you should listen right now. Hands up who is grateful for godly wives. Every, I see a few of the men like, I'm putting up my hand. My hand's up, you see that? You didn't even have to lift it up. I did it myself. When you go through a pandemic and you lose a job, when you get sick and you're unsure of the, the, rep, you know, the repercussions of that and whether you're going to get healed, when you can't have children or when you have a child and you lose them, when you go through difficult times, the enemy wants us to believe deceptions and lies that God is not for you, that God is against you, or he's there, but he's surely not good. So the enemy will bring difficulty. With that is going to come deception, and with deception is going to come doubt, and with doubt will come discouragement, and division will happen, and then eventually we will be diverted off into some other worldview, some other belief system. That's kind of the plan of the enemy. And these are the flaming darts that are coming against Christians. But we have good news. Because whilst that is true... We have hope because the Bible says that we have been given by God a shield of faith which quenches those fiery darts. So number one is the evil one and his flaming darts. But number two is God's shield of faith. So in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which you can extinguish. This is God's armor that he's giving to his people. And what Paul is saying, listen, while this is true, you have the ultimate weaponry. You have the ultimate armor so that you will not be quenched. You will not experience the fire of those darts. And what is this defense? It is the shield of faith. Faith shields you and I, for those of us who are Christians. It shields us. It protects us. So this leads us to the question of, well, what is faith and how does it work? Well, faith is a way of receiving. Okay, Hopefully, many of us mothers today were given gifts. Husbands, if that didn't happen, talk later, we'll help go beyond getting your hand raised and we'll get some other things, right? But there's a sense in when someone gives you a gift, what do you have to do? You have to receive it. So there's no, there's no point in me giving or my kids giving Carly gifts this morning if she doesn't actually take them and receive them. This is what faith is. Faith is a way of receiving. So God offers salvation. God offers forgiveness. God offers peace. God offers all of these things to us. But faith is the act of saying, I receive. Faith is a way of receiving. But faith is also a way of seeing. 
Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is probably the, the most classic definition given in Scripture of faith, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice in this particular verse, faith and hope are connected, but they're distinct. They're not the same thing. They are interconnected somehow, some way, but they're not necessarily the same thing. R.C. Sproul writes it this way. He says, hope is faith looking forward. If my hope is based in something God has said will happen in the future, the hope I have for that future promise finds its substance from my faith, from my trust and confidence in the one making the promise. I can have hope because I have faith in God. So when the Bible speaks of faith as a way of seeing, it's not speaking about faith as being blind faith, taking a leap in the dark. The Bible would say that's not faith. That's foolishness is what the Bible says. Faith is grounded in truth. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm praying and asking the Lord that he would allow Arsenal to win in the Premier League. Tomorrow morning, I've prayed, I've gotten on my face, I've been fasting 17,000 days. Lord, please make that happen. But I have no idea whether my team is going to win their football match or not. God knows. And if he told me Arsenal will win tomorrow, even though I can't see tomorrow, my faith is as good as done that that will happen because God is the one who said it will happen and he's reliable. Unfortunately, he doesn't tell me the sports results. Man, that'd be cool. We'd all be rich, eh? We could do Back to the Future. We could be Biff. Some of you get the reference. Some of you who are 35 years and younger have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) So the Bible has all of these things that whilst you can't see the future, the Bible has these promises in which God is speaking about the future. And God is saying this, that. And so you can have faith that is a sure and sound and filled with conviction, not because you know the future, but because God does. And his reputation, he is infallible. He cannot lie. He never lies. He's never wrong. And so if God says something's going to happen, I believe him. And therefore, faith becomes a way of seeing something that we do not see. Does that make faith? Uh, make sense? Does that make faith? Yes. Good. You're all with me. One of my favorite stories is in the book of Kings, where we have Elisha and his servant, and they basically, uh, in this moment where they're, they're waking up in the morning, and it kind of talks, you know, let's put 21st language in it. Old mate gets out, he gets his arrow press, he starts making his coffee, he's getting super relaxed, and he's like, man, this is so good. He's just, the aromas are going in the room, and so he walks outside, he's got the sun and the wind and the birds, and he's got his coffee, and then he looks up, they're in this place called Dothab, he looks up, and they're completely surrounded by enemies. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers and chariots and horses, and then he no longer enjoys his coffee, he walks back into Elisha, he's like, hey, uh, we're in big trouble. And so Elisha's like, ah, kind of, not really. Praise Lord, open up my servant's eyes so he can see what's really going on. The servant then walks back out, still sees the same problem, still sees the same enemies, but now he can see all of God's angels. All of a sudden he's like, oh, there's thousands of you there's quadrillions, if that's a 
number, I'm not sure, but there's quadrillions of God's angels. And they are there and they are going to destroy you. God opens the servant's eyes. Elisha prays God blind the enemy's eyes. As the enemy come down the hill, they all get blinded. They can't see nothing. They don't kill all these people. Elisha just actually takes them by the hand and says, All right, guys, we're going to get, we're going to do like prep even. It's going to be one and one. We're going to hold hands together and then he's going to follow me. And he walks them all the way back and just leads them all the way. God opens eyes. God closes eyes. Faith is God's way of opening our eyes so that we have a new way of seeing the world, the problems, the experience that we have. Faith is a way of seeing. Faith doesn't just see the battle ahead. It doesn't just see the flaming darts of the enemy streaming towards us. Faith sees Christ. Faith sees God and his glory and his victory in which we are secure in and shielded by. The Bible tells us that our our security, our safety, our shield is found in God. So again, if we go back to 2020... Here's how faith works in that is like, we don't know how this thing's going to go. Like we were told two weeks sort of lockdown, right? Just everybody calm down. Let's just work on the system. Let's make sure they're not overloaded. And then time goes by and time goes by and jobs get lost and stress comes. And all of a sudden now we're doing homeschooling. I don't know who, who invented that, but, you know, prayed for them. Uh, you know, there's all these different things. That we don't know. But for the Christian... It's like, yeah, we don't know, but we know God. We know God's heart, and we know God is with us. And so we're not going to face a pandemic alone. If we lose our job, we know that our God is the great provider, and we can trust him. Yes, there's pressure in our family home, but that pressure is not felt alone. We have God. Faith is not only a way of seeing, it's a way of living. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reason I love this verse is, about eight years ago, my father had a stroke. And he was uh, in hospital, met mum there, whilst we were there, had another stroke in front of us. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's extremely scary. And we're panicking and everybody's like, you know, I'm calling up family members, get there, get there. And my dad didn't lose sides or parts of his body, but he lost all ability to communicate. And I remember just seeing my mum my sit next to my dad and just look at him, just wondering whether he's ever going to be there again. And so I was like, man, we, we need a verse right now. We need something. And it had been maybe about a day and a half, and my dad just nothing. And I put up this verse, and I read it to my dad, and he had tears in his eyes. And that's when I realized, oh, he can understand me. He just can't communicate back to me. So then we downloaded the ESV audio Bible, and the only thing my dad could do for weeks and weeks on end was just listen to the Bible. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we lived by faith. So every day that my mum and I would come back and forth to the hospital, we'd quote this over and over and over again. We don't know where this is going to end up. We don't know what's going on, but we are going to live by faith because the Son of God loves us and died for us. Believers, Christians, 
live by faith in God. Trust Him. Go to Him. I love what Proverbs 30 verse 5 says. says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So Christian, your weapon is to live by faith, actively trusting God and His promises. And that faith will prevent you from becoming discouraged. That faith will protect you from actually walking away from God. And faith is a way of fighting. Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It is a way of fighting. 1 Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What should we do? Resist him firm in your faith. Faith is a weapon. And it's a really awesome weapon. Because when the enemy wants to get you, you say, "Uh uh-uh, I have faith. And my faith is not strong because it is huge. My faith is strong because it is in God who is huge. The object of our faith determines the strength of our faith. I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. You can have two bungee jump cords. One is connected and one is disconnected. And you can have epic, massive, huge, 100% confidence and boldness. And you can go over here to the bungee jump cord that is disconnected. doesn't matter how big your faith is. doesn't matter how much you think you know. You jump. It does not go well for you. But you can come over here. To the bungee jump cord and you can be timid. You can be unsure. You're not 100%, but you're putting your faith here. You jump, you're secure. Why? Not because of the amount of faith, but because the object of the faith was secure. If you are a Christian, you believe in the eternal God who knows all things, controls all things, and puts all of his resources into providing and loving and caring for you. Place your faith in that and the enemy has got very little chance of hurting you. Every time he comes at you, you thank him and say, great, you have pushed me back into Christ again. Thank you for pointing out my sin. I run to my Savior again. Thank you for highlighting to me that I'm quite anxious at the moment, which means I'm not trusting in God. Now I'm going to turn back and put my faith in God again. Now, Paul has in mind here, not some pity little small shield, but I'll put up some pictures for you. I think these are the only pictures I'm going to do throughout this series, so you're welcome. Uh, These shields that the Romans would use are basically 2 to 2.5 feet wide, 5 feet high. They're these massive wooden doors. Often they're actually soaked in water so that when the fiery darts come, they, they won't stay alight. Right? So they're these huge shields that would come and protect the whole person. But even better than that, for all you warrior buffs out there, the Spartans started to use, if we go to the next slide, a new formation. Yeah, that's right. I did some research. It was called the phalanx or something like that. Okay, uh, With spears. Think of the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, think of the movie 300 if you've seen it. And then the Romans took that and it's called the Tetsudo Formation. Okay? So you, you would have seen this in many, many movies. The beauty of this, it shows you that this shield is not supposed to be one dude on their own just fighting. This is, we're in this together. This is a fight that is done in community. 
One of the great things the enemy wants to do is move you away from other believers, move you away from Christians so that now you are on your own. God says, no, 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 come, come together. And here's the beautiful thing. When you do community with other believers, you realize we've all got doubts. We've all got discouragement. And when I hear your story and what God did in your life and how God helped you and did that in you, that builds my faith. And when you hear my story and I tell you about my anxiety or my father having a stroke or whatever stuff that's going on in our marriage, and you hear how God did stuff in our lives and how we kind of got through that, guess what it does for your faith? It builds your faith. Your faith may be personal. It should not be private. That's not how this thing works. Paul is creating this picture of we are in this thing together. We fight together. So if you're down, I'm down. If I'm down, you're down. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, right? So we resist Satan. How? Firm, being firm in our faith. So what is faith? Faith is laying hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and discouragement. Faith is holding on to the power of God in times of temptation. Faith is bringing to bear the reality of who God is and what He has done and what He's promised in the Bible, in our situation, in our lives. Faith is looking to God and He becomes your shield and your refuge. And then lastly, our circumstances. So it's Satan's fiery darts, it's God's shield of faith, and now these are our circumstances. Verse 16, verse, the first part said, in all circumstances. Why in all? Well, because at all times, whether you're high and things are going well, or whether you're low and things are going bad, the enemy wants to get to your faith. So it's at all times. And so because it's Mother's Day, I thought we'd quickly go over a few female particular characters of faith in the Bible and look at how they applied their faith in different circumstances. And these women should inspire us to be people and want to have faith. So think of Ruth the Moabite. If you've never read an awesome book, it's a short few chapters. Read the book of Ruth. This woman is amazing. All right, she, she meets her husband after her not then, but eventual father-in-law, Elimelech, basically they're having famine in Bethlehem, known as the house of bread, and they walk over and they come over to Moab because they don't have any faith in God to provide. They don't trust him. And so over here, the family come, two sons marry, one marries Orpah, or as I like to say, Oprah, and then the other uh, marries Ruth. And while there, the famine spreads, and then eventually husband dies, brother-in-law dies, father-in-law dies, and all she's left with is her sister-in-law and Naomi. And she says, well, Naomi, let's go back to Israel. On their way, Orpah says, no thanks, I'm going home. I can't leave Moab, I can't leave my comfort. I, I know Moab, this is where my people are, these are the gods we worship. But Ruth says, nah-ah. Naomi even says, go back, you've got a chance of finding another man and having kids again and having a whole family. She says, no. Why? She literally flips one of the most ancient creeds given by God, which is his covenantal saying that he says over and over nearly in every covenant, which is, I will be your God and you will be my people. Ruth says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So she leaves Moab. She, rather than abandoning her mother-in-law, 
she clings to her and abandons the God, the false God worship of Moab and flees comfort and where she had family and had safety and she comes and she looks after her mother-in-law in faith. She has to provide. She has to be the one that goes and gets a job in an ancient culture, in a, in a civilization where she didn't know people. And what, is, what happens? God just provides for her and provides for her and provides for her. And if you follow the genealogy of Jesus, she is the woman who keeps the line, the promised line of Jesus alive. Ruth is an awesome woman of faith. Queen Esther, 7th and 6th century. She's chosen as this, uh, this woman to be on the ancient bachelorette, uh, whatever you call it, bachelor. Um, and she is basically picked out. She wins this competition to now be King Xerxes' woman. Not a good thing. Not something she would have loved to have done. Very dangerous uh, her life is completely at risk at all times, but she listens to um, her, her uncle and she kind of goes along trusting that God has some type of plan in this. She basically get, wins the competition, becomes the wife, and God sets her up to be the one that would actually stand against race, racism and people coming against the Jewish people who want to eradicate them and annihilate them. And she takes a risk and goes to King Xerxes and asks for particular things, which basically, if he wasn't in a good mood, she dies that day. She, she comes to her uncle and is like, I can't do this. And the uncle is like, well, listen, maybe, maybe God has put you in this place for such a time as this, to stand up for the Jewish people, to put your own life at risk, to trust in God. And she does that, and God keeps the Jewish people alive. In fact, because of what happens under King Xerxes, when the Roman and Greek Empire are on the scene, it's partly why they allow Judaism and the Jews to continue to be the Jews. Because they've seen what has happened. And so God uses Esther to save Israel from the consequences of its own spiritual folly. She's an incredible woman. Rachel. Man, Rachel waited earnestly for her man. Finally gets a man, dad agrees, look, work seven years and that can sort of be your, your payment and, and away we go. She waits seven years and she is just, she's beaming, she is so ready. And then her dad lies, not just to Jacob but to her and her sister lies and did a switcheroo. Now I don't know, me and Jacob got other questions later to have a conversation about but now her dream man is now married to the sister and now he has to work another seven years before he can have her. Lies, deception. She stays faithful. Trust God. Eventually marries Jacob. Eventually has a whole lot of sons. One whose name is Joseph, who God actually uses to again preserve the people through famine, who goes over to Egypt and becomes the prime minister and saves the world. Patiently waiting. God's timing, God's way. It's hard faith in God. Deborah. If you read the book of Judges. Depressing book. God's people not doing good. Think circle. Circle of... Yeah, see? Going bad. 
This is what it was like. This is what Deborah was seeing. It was like darkness. Darkness all over the face of the earth. And then a light shone through Deborah. Deborah is the only female judge that we see in the book of Judges. God basically, as the Israelites are constantly rebelling against God, God raises up judges to come and tell them, stop living this way. And Deborah is the only female one. And she stands up in this male-dominated context and she calls the whole people back to worship. Worship God. She calls out men and says, step it up. Where are you? Let's worship God. Let's stop following and worshiping false gods. And she calls Israel back to faithfulness and worship and she helps purify the entire nation and eventually leads them to overcome the Canaanites. Faith in God, strong woman. And then, whilst I believe the Catholic Church go way too far with this, the great mother of Jesus himself, a young peasant woman who thinks very lowly of herself and not much, is given the great honor to birth the son of the world, the son of God. And when this angel comes, the Bible tells us that she believes and trusts, and without knowing and being able to see, faith becomes this way of seeing. Faith becomes this way of receiving amongst all the mockery, amongst all the doubt. She trusts, and whilst we should not worship Mary, we should follow Mary's example of being a faith-filled person of God. She's a faithful woman who says, if you say, I will, because you cannot lie and you are good and so church we have got so many examples in this book of people who are imperfect don't have perfect faith all the time but we see the example of faith being the thing that gets them through so today i want to encourage you if you're not a christian start by placing your faith and trust in god today it'll change your life i promise you and if you're here and you're a Christian and you are doubting and you're discouraged and you're just not sure whether you can believe in God, you know what? We're going to sing some songs. We're going to take communion and I'm going to pray that God would increase and spark a new faith in your life. And it will be a shield to you. So let the band come up. Why don't we pray? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 